Yeah, so this week we're welcoming friend of the show, Brian Joseph. He's a senior developer at Revelry Labs. I said it right the first time there. You got it. Uh, I think it's the first time you said it correctly. <laughs> yeah, Revelry Labs. I have to separate it into three syllables. Uh, he's co-organizer of the Big Elixir Conference, and uh, he also does quite a bit of open source stuff. I feel like every time I'm looking at some sort of Elixir library, he's in the commit history somewhere. <laughs> Uh, so he actually made the Geo and Geo Postgres libraries that I use at Design Collective for calculating distances and storing um, storing our points. Uh, and he's worked on another library called Jokin for uh, JBT auth tokens. But uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks. Long time, first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been talking on Twitter for a little bit. I think um, I th- I, I want to say that I was maybe tweeting about the geo postgres library or something and then I, I, you you might have replied to it i think that's kind of how we started yeah i think i heard an episode where you mentioned uh geo or something geospatial and oh yeah you talked about it on the podcast and then i uh, said if you had any questions let me know because that's like a lot of people use that library um and i am interested like in all the people who are using it and making sure it like it it's useful and it's also actually like my very first elixir Library ever? What? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, for me, I haven't had I've had zero issues with it. In fact, I don't think I've touched it in probably over a year. The the geo code it just kind of hangs out and does its thing and works. So oh, that's good. Uh, it was, yeah. Like I had I had I had no knowledge whatsoever about geo anything or Postgres. So I relied a lot on Rockwell for that. So I remember asking him a question. He's like, "All right," and he sent me this this page full of math <laughs> on the internet to look at. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And he was trying to explain how the earth is a spheroid, not a sphere. And he was trying to like, you know, he was trying to breaking it down for me. Mm-hmm. I think he loved it because he's, he's very knowledgeable about that stuff. And I didn't really retain any of that. I retained enough to get the library implemented and then moved on. Yeah. But yeah. So what, what does your path to programming look like? So you're obviously right now you're doing, um, as you mentioned, Elixir, um, and it seems like you also have some Ruby and Rails experience as well. I actually don't. You don't. Uh, this this is interesting. So I I'm actually on a um, staff augmentation project right now, and it is technically the first Ruby I've done ever. What the first Rails like like the first official like Ruby and Rails stuff. Um, most of I've I pretty much avoided Ruby. Um, I did a lot of Python though. Let's see, Java, .NET. Python, some Scala in there, and then eventually Elixir. Man, so so why did you why did you avoid Ruby? I don't I like just just interesting. Well, um, let's see. Because I was into Python, it wasn't like a like a hate thing. It was more like because I'm into Python and they're pretty much like on the same like tier of like um, language language designers have like different different styles and um, I guess cultures. Um, it just never occurred to me to like step over to Ruby. Right, right. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're already familiar with Python and using it, you don't think you would gain anything really from jumping to Ruby if you're solving similar problems anyway. There. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Java.net, Scala, Elixir. Yeah. Python. <laughs> That's awesome. So, did you like when did you start programming? How did you how did you learn? Uh, was it like a hobby? Uh, did you get into it just for work or? Let's see. Um, so I guess I was introduced to programming when I was um, in first grade or, or kindergarten. They had like, uh, was it Logo? That was the thing. 
and then I was always into video games, and I kind of wanted to, like, make those, like, eventually, and um, I didn't actually do much programming until I got to college, um, and did, like, they taught Java there, and I just kind of fell into it. I was like, I know I want to work with computers. Um, this computer science thing seems like what I need to do to work with computers, so I'm going to do this. And luckily, I love it. I don't hate it, so that's good. <laughs> right, yeah. It's funny because that was similar to my experience as well. Is I had learned a little like basic uh, back in the day, but when I actually we had to do logo for, uh, for a class in elementary school, and uh, that was when I realized that, oh, like this is actually something I kind of good at. I want to do more of it. <laughs> yeah. It's so good to be exposed to that. And it's cool because you actually get to draw something that, you know, actually feels like it's doing something. Right. I don't even don't even know what logo is. Um, there's a turtle involved. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Well, no, there's there's a turtle and you tell it where to go. Um, and so you have to like, you know, ex- just like programming, like explicitly telling it basically where to go and it draws a thing. Oh, kind of like uh, uh, the one that Apple has, Playgrounds, right? I think they have an iPad or iOS app, Playgrounds, where you basically just move a character around by typing instructions. Oh, cool. That's that TurtleAcademy.com is what came up when I searched for it. Oh, wow. This is cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I that's really similar to me, too. I always liked video games, and I, I started kind of programming with... RGB, RPG Maker, I think. Okay. If I'm remembering back all the way. And I'm saying this on air now so everyone knows, but I used to have an Angel Fire website where I collected uh, Dragon Ball Z uh, GIFs, animated GIFs. Oh, no. We need to dig that up. Um. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore, but yeah, that, that's a thing. Cool. So so uh, you check, kind of checked out it in college, um, and, and then how did you... How did you find your way through all the different languages? So you started with Java in college, and then you mentioned .NET and Scala too. Um, yeah. So let's see. So um, most of my co- in college, it was mostly Java um, and some C. And my first job um, out of college, actually going back to like open source and geospatial things. So my first job out of college, I was at a company where they wanted to like use more open source technology for their um, their mapping software. And so it was pretty early times for those kind of things. Um, but most of the programming I did there was in, there was a very little bit of Python. It was mostly like PHP. And I don't even remember what the open source things we used um, were. But that's where kind of things started. So like that's that's some Python, PHP. And then my next job was mostly .NET. The job after that was mostly .NET. I did some Scholar just because I wanted to like, um, one, not have to pay for like Visual Studio and, and .NET and Scala was like <laughs> supposed to be like um, kind of close to that but also was functional and that's kind of where I got used to um, functional concepts was with Scala and Scala it was, it's Scala's kind of nice um, seeing some Scala code I kind of miss it a little bit but there, at least at this time, this is like 2000 and oh crap, let's see um, last decade sometime, um, 2009-ish, maybe? So 10 years, goodness gracious, <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. It was kind of um, on the slow side as far as like compiling and everything like that. And so I, I went looking for, also I was going back to Ruby. I was kind of jealous that Ruby had this, you know, thing that um, lets you do migrations and stuff pretty easily, um, which Scala didn't have at the time. 
So I had the functional bug and I wanted to like find a functional language and I went through a whole bunch of languages trying to figure things out and eventually ended up on Elixir. That's that's cool. So were you were you doing Elixir before you worked at that at Reverly? So I guess like to back up, Reverly uh, does a lot of consulting, right? So you consult and you build right. software for for whoever needs the software. And it seems like because I look through some of the work and things like that, and you're using Phoenix and Elixir there. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you pick up Elixir before you were at Reverly? Um, yeah. So actually, I'm kind of the reason that Reverly is using Elixir. <laughs> So I picked up Elixir, it was before 1.0, so it had to be around, I think it was around 2013, and um, I picked up um, Dave Thomas's book, Programming Elixir, because um, I think I had some like free time to read, because that was also the year my daughter was born, and I guess I was just up, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I was reading that, <laughs> and things seemed to click, and I was at a different job where I was actually, wow, uh, I was actually doing C++, um, I was not good at that. I, I kind of fired myself from that job. <laughs> and um, so I started doing some scripting there with Elixir. And around New Orleans, I was going to, to speak about Elixir at local meetups. And then um, I also knew, like, Revelry is founded by um, two friends of mine. Um, so I, I knew them already. And they would show up at the meetups. And um, over time, I kind of convinced them that elixir is the future and so i eventually started working there and that's kind of where we started to transition um from mostly ruby to um to elixir yeah because i was looking through the uh on the reverie page it lists a bunch of recently completed projects and it shows what tech is used in each stack more or less and there's a lot of different technologies there but uh yeah it seems like the there's very few common threads there. There's a lot of like React for front end stuff and mm-hmm. obviously a lot of Rails in the in the projects, maybe older projects toward the bottom, but then it seems to be migrating more towards towards Elixir as time goes on. Is that true? Uh yeah, that's true. So we still do a lot of um, mobile things with um, React Native, but so most of our stack is usually centered around Elixir, Phoenix, um some React if we need it, and uh React Native for mobile. I like that. Some React if you need it. Like yeah, a lot. we don't we don't try to use um, a lot of JavaScript unless we actually need it. So was there was there one big was there like a tipping point or something that kind of pushed it over to to where the other co-founders were like, yeah, Elixir is something we need to adopt, or was it like a combination of things? Yeah, it was just general interest. So um, the, one of the co-founders, um, he's the CTO. Um, he was interested in it. Um, one of the um, the senior engineers there, he was interested in it. And um, so it kind of grew from there. Um, and then once I got there, I was like trying to fight to get Elixir, like get more projects using Elixir. And we've seen some, ben- we've seen a lot of benefits, obviously, from Ruby. Ruby, Ruby is, you know, it's it's okay. It's just that in certain situations, it's it's probably a lot of the stuff that we were doing. Um, there were like a lot of memory issues, and um, a lot of somewhat non-solvable memory issues i shouldn't say that <laughs> i'm probably gonna get killed for that but um <laughs> we haven't had that many issues with with elixir like we'll have memory issues um every now and then with some projects but it's like oh we shouldn't do that so we'll go and fix a thing and then we can like yeah get it lower that's sort of been my finding too like if if i do have a memory issue with elixir and design collective it's very obvious what's causing it 
So it's it's like a like what, what Rockwell's seen some pictures of grass, but it's like I'll do something and there'll be a sudden spike and then a drop. So I can actually mm-hmm. usually coordinate that spike in the graph to log my log stash and be like, oh, okay, well, this is the thing that's causing the issue. It's like really immediate. It's never like a slow climb or like even a plateau that stays, right? Right. Because it's like that that spike that gets GC'd right away, I can actually find it in the logs, which I thought was actually really, really cool. Right. So are you primarily working on like greenfield projects or are you working on existing projects and improving on them or... Or uh, how do you how do you decide like what tech stack you're going to use for a particular project? Most of the projects we have have been have been greenfield. I try to like if we have a, a brownfield project, we'll we'll try to work within within those um, whatever language or parameters they have. Um, I'm I'm always kind of like let's 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 not even bring up the rewrite word unless we have to. So we we try to be pretty cautious of like. When it comes to brownfield projects, and if we can, like, if they're, I don't know, for instance, if they're like maybe not have testing or adequate testing or TI, we'll try to like add that kind of stuff in so we can like make sure we don't make things worse. Um, but yeah, most of the stuff we do is greenfield. Yeah. So the reason the reason I asked is because uh, it's kind of lead up to my next question here. So Sean Sean has done consulting work in the past, and but right now he's been working on Design Collective for what, three, four years now, continuously? Ooh. What? Like, yeah, three years, maybe. Yeah. And uh, I've been working on my product, Remote Ham Radio, for, you know, many years as well. And, like, I'm, you know, I'm not, I do some consulting stuff on the side, but I'm not in this constant cycle of creating new projects from scratch often, right? I'm, I've got long-lived projects, and, and uh, but when you're a consultancy, like, that's a different, you get in a different mindset because you have to, start from zero so much more frequently. So I was just wondering how do you approach application design or, you know, design choices or development choices uh, for those kind of projects? And like, what kind of trade-offs would you make for, for maybe like a one-off consulting project versus something that you had to kind of own and live with and support for, for a long time? Is there, is there any kind of decision making that you make there? Would you make some, take some extra risks or do you tend to be more conservative, uh, stuff like that? Well, we would tend to be more conservative in those in those situations. Um, I am trying to figure out the answer for myself, honestly, um, because I'm reading um, some books on like design thinking, and um, also I'm, I guess I'm just getting into like um, product like um, development a lot more, um, just from general interest, and. I guess I'm starting to wonder, like, can some of this apply for like um, consultant, consultant, like smaller projects? Um, I'm hoping the answer is yes, but I'm trying to like figure out like what kind of trade-offs would I have to make in a, con- a consultancy? Because um, you do have to make trade-offs. Like, you you don't like live with like things forever, and that is always the hardest part, honestly. Because it's like you look at code from like a previous project, or not even a previous project, like the current project. But it's like at the end of the like the end of things, and you learn so much, and you're like, I just want to like, I want want to redo this. Yeah. I know so much more now. Um, that is the hardest part. So I guess the answer is I'm trying to figure that out. Okay. And Sean Sean linked this book in the show notes here, uh, the Design Thinking Playbook. I think this is the book you're uh, yeah alluding to. Yes. It's um it's a pretty good book. It's it's c- kind of. It's kind of wordy, but also like I'm reading it 
um, very slowly so I can I can grasp th- grasp things. And I'm always I basically read it on my on my iPad, and then I I end up having my phone next to me because I'll have they'll come up with they'll have words or or terms, and I'm like, okay, let me look this up. Oh, okay, cool. This is this is pretty cool. And so like I try to. Oh, okay, cool. This is this is pretty cool. Yeah, this is gonna be hard coming from a hard uh, hard technological like technical background, I should say, to come into something like this where it's. A little more squishy. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely think it's needed, and um, I I really want to apply it to things. So we'll see. I think that's a lot. What I struggle with a lot too is is the sort of like you said, Rockwell, sort of the squishy squishy stuff. So, I mean, right now, Design Collective, I have a couple of contractors that I'm working with, but I'm largely the only technical person. Uh, and that also means not that doesn't just mean like the programming and feature building, but it also means the UI thinking, the UX thinking. Does this does this idea make sense for the business? Would it uh, would it impact our users in a positive manner? Is is this other idea, this random idea that someone had, even like worth exploring as like a ten, tangential part to our business, right? Uh, and to me, I, I kind I feel like I waver a lot uh, around that area because I just. I guess I've been doing it for a little while now, but I sort of get tunnel vision, I think, on, on Design Collective because I'm just staring at the same thing all the time. And so it's hard for me to kind of get outside of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you said something else to me. Uh, I think yesterday we were just talking a little bit and we were talking about, um, I think actually a couple of weeks ago, Rockwell and I were talking about the Phoenix the uh, Phoenix boilerplate repository that, that you guys open sourced. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, what, so you said something earlier today. You said, uh, you know, you guys tend to be more on the, or you all tend to be more on the conservative side of things. Uh, and then I was asking you yesterday about how you handle your authorization layer, and you said it depends. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. And and so Rockwell and I've been having this discussion a little bit because I always feel like I get, I don't know where I get this idea from, but I I always feel like the tools that I'm using. And maybe this just comes from Rails, from me learning back in development through Rails. But like, there's like a way to do things. You, if you have authorization, you use Pundit, use the policies. If you, if you need to do A, you just use whatever the that specific ecosystem allows you to use. And so I went kind of on a, a dive through uh, as many open source Phoenix apps as I could find, and it was they were all different. They were all just really different. And to me, it kind of felt a lot more like the node side of things. And obviously Phoenix kind of glues some things together. So the actual web layer with Phoenix is Phoenix. Uh, but as far as the context go, it was kind of spread apart. And so I asked you and you said, it depends. Earlier you said, you, to, you know, we try to be conservative. And I like I like all these things a lot because I think when I was doing consulting, we were really trying to just push stuff through without thinking thinking about it as much as we should have maybe. And I think a lot of that because came from me being so junior and we the dev team we were, we were just really spread out. There were only three of us, and so we'd have a greenfield project on, and then someone else is doing a brownfield project, you know. And I think we were spread really thin. But uh, Rockwell and I have been talking recently about the idea of maybe maybe having something so generalized, like a problem to solve so generalized. I, I the example we keep using is like uh, what was it? It's um the auth library for Rails device. What's it? Devise, yeah, it's like it solves eighty percent of the use cases, but after that, it becomes really, it can become really difficult to work with, right? So, 
I don't know, I really like this thread that you're kind of weaving or you've been even not even on the show, but even like when you're just talking to me, you're weaving this thread of like, yeah, I mean, it really depends on the situation, depends on the client, depends on the project you're working with. And it's helping me pull this tendency to try to like standardize all these tools, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but yeah, you also said something really interesting yesterday. So you said it depends. We have this Phoenix library that we can, or this Phoenix uh, repo that we can fork and do whatever we want with. But then you said, you mentioned something uh, like you said, I, th- I I hope, or I wish we had something like code mod for Elixir. And then, and then I looked at it and I was like, it, it rocked my world because to me, something like that, like my only experience with something even remotely similar, and I don't think it necessarily is, but is like Phoenix generators, for example, or right. scaffolding tools. Right. So I thought that was really interesting. And so, so in looking at, you have your you have your Phoenix repository. Say you get a new greenfield project and you're using Phoenix. You take that thing, and then and then what happens? Oh, so um, the other half of that um, template actually, which we we haven't open sourced yet, because it's not really much. It's like an Elixir, like um, what do you call it? You tell it with an archive. Um, the words escape me right now. But anyway, it's like a a thing, like a global mixed task thing. So you can do mix ref dot new, and then you give it a name, and it'll download that app template and like rename things to the new name. Okay. Um, and I'm actually I'm thinking about making that just a script within that app template so that um, it's a little bit easier to do. But the code mod thing, it so I never actually really wanted to make uh, an app template like a boilerplate code at all. Like I'm still like every day I'm like, is this is this good? Um, the main, the main reason is, um, just trying to make sure it's, it's up to date, um, which I've been, I've been pretty good about, um, but it takes somebody to make sure that it, everything stays up to date. Um, it depends about helps a lot with that actually, but what I really wanted to do was have something where it'll run, it'll like just, you can run it over like a new Phoenix project or like an existing Phoenix project. And I guess the, I guess something like code migrations, and I was trying to find something similar. And like code mod is like basically the only thing I've seen like that. Um, but it's not it's not really Elixir specific, but I mean that would be nice to have like a, more tools around treating code as data, which I mean it it really is. And hmm. like I don't even know like I guess it's so close. It's, it's really close. Like, you can, like, look at the Elixir AST, and you can kind of, like, use that to... You can you can take some Elixir code, turn it to AST, and then turn it back. Um, the only problem is you, like, lose, like, comments and stuff like that. Um, so, maybe one day. But, yeah, I, like, the same way we have database migrations, I kind of want to do, like, code migrations. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to me, the AST stuff, because... I I just recently picked up uh, uh, Elixir in action, and so I'm familiar with macros. Uh, I've even written a couple of very basic, you know, using macros. Uh, but the book actually goes more into the AST sort of thing. And so even looking at uh, say like absence for Elixir, they they use that super heavily, right? Right. So they have all these these macros and they use AST a lot. And to me, it always seemed like some mystical thing. Like, oh, I'm gonna leave that over there. I don't really understand it very well, so it kind of scares me a little bit. Uh, but that's really interesting. Treating code like data, transforming code like data, that that's very, very interesting to me. So 
so you 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 would basically you would basically just mix Reverly new create a new Phoenix app and then you, you go just go go from there. Do you have any sort of standard way that you and there I'm using the word standard again, but you have any sort of way that you like to organize context, organize sort of that that data domain of things? Um, that's also kind of like evolving. So most of the time what we do is we'll have um, a folder around like, let's see, what's a good example? Let's say users. So we have a users folder and there's a user schema in there. Then there's a user's context in there. And then we'll have like, um, like kinds of things in there. So let's see, user settings maybe we'll have in like the same folder and expose that using um, the user's context. And on some projects, like one or two projects, we, we try to do like, so we'd have like a, a regular users type of, I shouldn't have said users, like, okay, so <laughs> users of the application. So we would have like context and stuff around that, but we'd also have like something around like admins so that like we keep that kind of stuff away from like the, um, the stuff that the, like, I guess the API that the users would use. And that kind of, that kind of works. Um, but it's also like, okay, we're probably still doing this kind of wrong. So let's, let's just keep evolving. So one thing I've noticed in, in looking through a bunch of different, I mean, there's not really that many, honestly, open source Phoenix apps, but I see a lot of people pulling concepts from other frameworks. So uh, I was looking at one e-commerce one and they had a whole uh, namespace for, for uh, I think scopes where they were basically building uh, Ecto queries and they were using them like a Rails scope would be used. Uh, and I looked into another one and they had it separated out into models, which was just handling purely the CRUD stuff. And then they had the business logic domain, which were the contexts, and then they had the web app. So that again, to me felt sort of like rails in a sense too, because they had the models directory and all the CRUD stuff happened in that, in that one spot. So like if there was like a user that could be an admin and a manager, that was all just in users. There wasn't really a separation uh, in business logic around working on an admin or a manager. Uh, but that's, that's what I've been noticing is people are pulling since the design, since Phoenix lets you make the context however you want them, people are kind of pulling from their past experience and using similar terminology too is really, is really interesting. So <laughs> what I've been doing is, is I like, uh, I've been liking Laravel a lot, but I don't really have any experience with PHP. So I've been reading their documentation to see if I can pull any ideas from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Laravel is a big thing. It's a very, it's a very large thing. But that's just what I've been trying to do, I suppose, is pull um, information like that. I, I guess my question is like at Reverly. There, I said it wrong. There we go. <laughs> at Revelry, uh, do you guys have any sort of like tools that you open source internally that you pull between projects or, or things like that, or are are Greenfield projects so so different that there there might not be a benefit there? So most of our projects are created using that, that app template. And then um, what I've done is for some of the things that, because I really want to just, I really want to break a lot of that apart um, into libraries when I can. So there's there's some libraries that we created um, that used to be part of the app template that are now just like libraries that, that people can pull in. And that helps with the keeping things up to date as well. Um, because if we, if there is a, project that was previously created with that template and we update one of the one of the libraries that we used and that old project can just try you know just can just update that library and 
uh, keep keep moving. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and you mentioned keeping things up to date because I'm um, looking at the app template here, and you also have, uh, you know, JavaScript stuff in here using the assets uh-huh. folder that I've built in there. So you have to keep that up to date as well. Uh, yeah. So the Pendabot is great. Um, one thing it's telling me is that JavaScript libraries <laughs> update so so often like most yeah. of the updates we have to make are like javascript libraries and it's like why are there so many updates i've been struggling with that too honestly because i i put in the pendabot and it just started slamming me i think it did the initial i think it limits the initial to like five prs yeah the first time around and then it just lets the hammer loose <laughs> you can't keep up with it so <laughs> i've been having our junior dev uh that's one of the things that he helps me with now is actually merging uh dependabot so He'll check out the repository. He's been actually working on uh, building integration tests with Cypress as well. Mm-hmm. So, so once he got uh, some basic flatline, the page doesn't explode when you hit it, right? Uh, once he got that sort of in there, he he pulls down the branch, checks it out, updates it, and runs those tests, and then click test some more. And that's been a huge help for me. But it is a full time job managing that, especially on the JavaScript side, because it's like one security update hits so many of them, like if it's like a pop, like Lodash, like there's a Lodash security thing that happened and I got six pull requests from that. Right. For individual Lodash packages. So it's, it's tough, but yeah, compared to the, the, the speed at which a lot of Elixir libraries move, it's, it's not even, well, I guess you can't compare it because it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, it's good. Things are being updated. That's good. Um, like I definitely try to like I'll hold off on some of the things, and I'm like, you know what? There's probably gonna be an update tomorrow. But for some of the like security ones, because like the about will like tag them security, or like if I see some like GitHub, you know, say hey, there's a there's a security violation here or vulnerability, um, I'll update those. Um, but yeah, it's it's rough. Like most of my mornings, because it's not just like one project, it's like a bunch of projects we have it on. So there, <laughs> there'll be like my mornings pre like stand up, I'll like go through and like look at the pin the bot um, stuff and merge as many as I can. So how does how does like how does the team structure look like on different projects? Do you do you guys like form little teams and work on individual greenfield projects? Or do you sort of split your time across multiple? So developers usually have one project. Well, usually on a project, we usually have like, we'll have a project manager, we'll have a designer, and then we'll have uh, one or more developers. And developers usually have one project they're working on at a time. Designers and project managers usually have multiples. So that's kind of how how it goes. Like, yeah, there's very few projects where we have more than one designer. It's usually like a project manager, a designer, and one or more developers. That sounds nice. Yeah, it works. It works pretty well. How many people is Reverly? I think I, I read it was like 40, 40 something. That's probably right. It, it might be more than that. Um, now we we kind of had a growth spurt, and so maybe around between forty and fifty. Yeah, my LinkedIn sleuthing has paid off here. <laughs> uh, so. I don't know. Sometimes I go to LinkedIn when I'm sick of Twitter because it's much more positive. Even though I don't necessarily care about half of the stuff happening, it feels more positive. Uh, yeah, LinkedIn is weird to me. It's, it's a weird strange. place. It's like it's like it's like walking through a hallway where everyone's kind of got a mask on. But sometimes I need that. I need that mask. <laughs> uh, so, outside of uh, revelry. Uh, are you, do you have any side projects you got going on? Uh, any any other interests, uh, software-wise? 
I know I know there was oh, one thing that you had mentioned to me that you're working on, and I can't remember the name right now. But uh, what is what is that? What does that look like for you? Let's see. Side projects right now, not 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 much. Like there, I guess in the last couple of months, maybe this this year in general, I haven't really been motivated to uh, do too much um, just yet. I have been. There's a lot of times um, since I've been at Revelry where my my own like agenda and Revelry's agenda have have kind of aligned. So like my side projects have ended up being like Revelry projects, um, and that's kind of true right now. Actually, I'm trying to um, create a employee like directory um, app and use that to. Um, well, the goal is to help with like just getting people to know each other in the company because um, we are we are remote for the most part. Like a lot of us are in Louisiana or Chicago or Dallas, but we do have some people that are remote and um, try to do some, some of that, some team norming, help out with um, resourcing um, and try to get like better, what's the word I want to use, have teams that have different um, ways of thinking about things so that okay. you know we kind of think about things from different angles and also use I'm using that project just to to try to take some of the things from the design thinking book and try to apply them to this particular project in general that's something I'm missing a lot right now is sort of that diversity in thought or d- being able to approach a problem from different angles because it's just me so I'm staring at this thing and I try I try really really hard not to run with the first idea I have because it's usually not the best one <laughs> Uh, but sometimes, sometimes I'm just like in, in work mode and I just do it anyway. And then Rockwell and I've talked about this in the past. Like I get close to finishing something. And I'm like, well, crap, <laughs> I should have, I should have done this, you know? Uh, yeah, I'm really, I, I find that I'm really, really missing that. So that's why I reach out to people like on Twitter sometimes too, like, Hey, do you want to have a virtual coffee or whatever? Or just to talk to people. And like, I'm always constantly running ideas past Rockwell and, and uh stuff so that's been that's been helping me but i think that's something that i really do do miss from having access to a larger team is sort of that uh being able to think from a different angle or having people with different viewpoints right and that's something that actually came from the design thinking book um but also um i was talking to the um the ceo of the of the company i'm currently uh staff aug to and because she made us have like a team norming meeting so that we can like, um, she likes. She says she likes to have, like, work with diverse teams, and um, because you know the team is diverse, it helps to have like a way to like know how everybody how everybody works and um, to have everybody you know get to know each other and and I've I've taken some of that um, that advice and I'm trying to apply it here. Um, hmm. There's a lot I'm learning actually from the Staff Hog project. Um, that I'm on and I'm just trying to absorb like all the knowledge I can. Um, it's pretty cool. But yeah, so what I do on my time off, uh, more work. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that, let me see. So that, that's a very small part of my, um, off time. So that, um, kickboxing, um, going to the gym and playing video games. What kind of games are you into right now? Um, most of the games I'm playing are on the Switch. I'm playing uh, this game right now called um, Bloodstained. Um, have you heard of it? I have not, but I do have a Switch. Okay, it's uh, I think it's Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. It's made by the creator of Castlevania. Um, you know he doesn't work at Konami anymore. Um, he made he had a Kickstarter for this game, 
And so, um, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is like one of my favorite games of like all time, and this has a pretty close like flavor to that. Have you ever thought about doing uh, Ludum Dare or anything like that? What is that? It's a. I think they have a couple have it a couple of times a year, but uh, it's basically just sort of a competition and. Uh, Rockwell, you might need to remind me on the rules, but I think it's like 48 hours, so you can get a team together, and you have, there's rules like, you can use certain types of asset packages, but not other types of asset packages, uh, and you have 48 hours to build a game, and usually each Ludum Dare has a theme, uh, so I think the one that Paul did last time was Time's Running Out or something like that, so he made a platformer that when you touch the ground, it disappears, and so you have to keep jumping up, basically. Uh, so yeah, it's just like a timed competition, and you get to make a game based off of a theme. Oh, cool! Um, I haven't tried to make any games because that seems complicated, and I say that, but I am actually thinking about trying to make a game soon. Um, but a, a coworker of mine, uh, he's really into ga- uh, making games, um, so I have to pass it on to him. He probably already knows, but I'll pass it on to him. Yeah, Rockwell's been sticking his neck in there in that side of the woods recently, right? Into Unity? Yeah, Paul's been kind of poking me. He's like, it's not that hard, it's just programming. <laughs> so I just shrugged and I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Uh, yeah, I've been playing around with Unity stuff and it's it's pretty, uh, it's amazing how far you can get with, with knowing very little. It's pretty dangerous, actually. But yeah, Unity is, seems very, very cool for, for the level of engagement that I can af- afford to spend time on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've tried, uh, let's see, since we're on game programming, I actually wanted to make like a um, choose-your-own-adventure thing for my, I was trying to make one um, in Twine based around my morning routine, like basically wake up, uh, turn the alarm off, uh, eventually, whatever, just go all the way down into like making sure my daughter gets to school. Um, But I kind of stop working on it i should get pick that up again it i kind of liked it because i i felt like i was getting burnt out a little bit in in web app building and and so paul did the same thing to me too he he uh well tricked isn't the right word but <laughs> peer pressured me into <laughs> installing unity and i went through some tutorials and i was learning a lot because i'd never really my language history was was uh, CoffeeScript into Ruby, and then once we ditch CoffeeScript into JavaScript, and then Elixir. <laughs> so uh, I've never really had a, really any experience with with uh, C sharp or any sort of like big IDE system or any even like a type language, for example. Uh, so for me, it was cool because I was able to have fun and and work on something that was fun. It didn't feel like work, but I was learning a ton of stuff at the same time too. Uh, it's kind of nice. I should get back into that. There's a lot of. He gave, I think he sent me loose on a YouTube tutorial series. Mm-hmm. So I just followed this guy's tutorial, and uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Um, but I guess kind of like piggyback off of of that. Um, Rock wanted this question in here. You, you wanted to ask, but I'm stealing it from him. Uh, what what's a cool new <laughs> what's a cool new tech or language or framework that that you think that most people haven't heard about that could be the next big thing? Oh wow! So. This is probably a question, definitely, that I could probably <laughs> guess at answering. Sure. Um, let's see. It doesn't have to be the next big thing. It's just maybe something you're jazzed about, you know? Um, yeah. So let's see. Um, I am interested in this one language um, called Ballerina, which is supposed to, like, 
make it easy to like do stuff within like Kubernetes or it's like a I think it's part of the cloud native foundation so there's that I keep wanting to dip my toes back into like back into uh, I keep wanting to dip my toes into Haskell and then I'm like mm-hmm. why am I doing don't don't do that go into OCaml <laughs> and I was like why do that do reason um, so eventually I'm going to dip my toes into one of those things um, have you heard of reason before uh yes okay. and I think of the only reason I've heard of it was because of Oni I think it was Oni it's like a it's like a Vim uh emulator oh yeah basically yeah 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 and they're using Reason for Oni version two I think oh wow that's pretty cool yeah that's the only reason why I know what it is yeah so I've I've been wanting to learn like OCaml for like forever and um I am I'm just like watching Reason to see like if it'll like make some of the uh development around like the old camel like environment um better um because i just want things to be like as simple as like a mix or like i've dipped my toes in the haskell a little bit and like um they have a thing called stack which works just as well like it just it just works like I thought Haskell was supposed to be hard. This is this is this is simple. <laughs> I mean, like getting it to run, like but like programming it is a different story. Right. So at, with, with with hearing those those languages, uh, is it safe to say that that you you'd prefer these days functional languages over over object oriented languages? Um. Yeah. I don't think I've ever like preferred object oriented languages. Like, um, I I guess I tolerated them. <laughs> That's it. Um. Because. They're fine. I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think I feel the same way because when when I jumped into Elixir, so I was I, was, I inherited Design Collective. It was in Ruby on Rails. Uh, I, I was familiar-ish because I had built a couple of MVPs, but you, it's not hard to build an MVP without really knowing a whole lot about <laughs> Ruby uh, with Rails. And, and so when I found Elixir, I can't even remember what pointed me to it. I think maybe we had a dev at Octopus that was kind of interested in it and that's kind of how I heard about it uh but but when I jumped into it I had such it was so much easier for me to learn and reason about things with with the with the functional paradigm than it was with Ruby on Rails because and this could be how the MVP was made for Design Collective but there was like side effects happening all over the place uh active record uh callbacks happening all over the place it was like it was it was hard to figure out what the heck was going on at any time and now I fast forward to look at um, Design Collective, even though it's pretty spread out, it's not that hard to find stuff. There's, there aren't things buried layers and layers deep. Uh, it's relatively simple. So for me, I find functional languages and the overhead around using them a lot easier to, to deal with than I do with uh, most object-oriented programming languages. Um, yeah, and I think, I guess going back uh, to, to Python, so when I was using Python, I... What I liked about it, for the most part, is like they have they have classes and and stuff in Python, but I just like that I can just work with like data and functions and like that's at the end of the day that's that's all I really care about. Like, there, is there data? Is there functions? Out and I'll like figure it out from there. Uh, yeah, Rockwell, I think messages me every day. It's just functions, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be struggling with something and he's like, it's just functions, and he'll walk away. <laughs> And then, uh, and uh, yeah, usually he's he's always right, mostly mostly right. But yeah, that's I don't know. That's why I have a hard time leaving Elixir because like Laravel comes with a lot of stuff and it seems neat, but it's it's a lot of things to know about and have to have to think about and remember and and 
with Phoenix, it's like, it's pretty simple. Elixir makes it pretty simple too. So it's just easier for me to use. I don't, I don't know. I don't don't know how to describe it, but. While you guys are over there talking, I'm scrolling through the ballerina page and I, I can't even, I don't even know what to make of this. This makes, I can't even wrap my head around what they're trying to accomplish here, but it looks really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's mostly to just make it easy to, uh, make microservices within like uh, Kubernetes or like systems. It's kind of like gluing services together, sort of, but also being able to put arbitrary code in there as well. Pretty much. Seems like. Yeah, pretty much. Like you wouldn't write, you wouldn't write a service in this, but you would maybe proxy a service or add authentication or something like that. Is that the right idea? I don't know. Um, part of it, but I think that might also be just like their examples and stuff. They, they might have to, change some of the wording around that but they maybe maybe you're 100 percent right and that's what they're what they're going for that's interesting so do you guys have uh do you all have like a preferred way of deploying sites or is it just again on a case-by-case basis for for the apps that you're working on oh yeah so we um we're running some um kubernetes clusters and that would be our preferred way of doing things um like we um make sure that most of our projects have like docker files and try to do things that way. So that's so intimidating to me. <laughs> well, we have a cluster ops team. Um, it's um, they're 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 good at what they're doing. They they're both like Kubernetes certified and everything, and um, they are they're awesome. Um, but you know, so mo- for most projects, we'll deploy in Kubernetes. But it depends on like if uh, a client has their own like hosting thing, then we'll obviously work with that. Um, we used to have everything in, in Heroku, but we moved everything to Kubernetes, um, I guess a, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, I'm clinging to Heroku with everything I have in my fingers because... What, because you don't have a whole Kubernetes team over there, Sean? Come on, <laughs> get on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, do you, I guess, I guess, do you have any, any parting words of wisdom, uh, any, any advice that's ever been given to you throughout your career, um, that's, that's helped you out or, or, you know, empowered you to, to move forward? It's a heavy question. Um, yeah. So I guess, let me see, words that I usually tell people are, um, one, don't take things too seriously, two, uh, don't stress, please. What my college professor used to tell me um, is that there's no loyalty in companies. <laughs> if, you, if you don't like your company, leave. Um, and I'll still, I'll still see him to this day, and he'll tell me the exact same thing. And uh, break problems into like smaller chunks. And if you do that, you can make what seems like the impossible um, pretty possible. I like that. That is, yeah, that's really good advice. I struggle with that even even now. Uh, looking, I have my other notion, my work notion window on my other screen, and it's it's open to the tasks and issues, Canvas <laughs> uh, board, and there's there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, um, don't get me. Oh my goodness, I. Okay, I'm gonna rant. Uh, I'm just gonna say that I'm not a big Good fan work. of GitHub issues, but because they don't really like let you like break things down. So one thing that I really like about Notion is is you have a Kanban board, right? You click open a card, it opens a modal, and then you can make another page which can 
have its own information and then you could page no, you can make another page in that one that has its own information right so there there are a couple of cards here like uh, replace coherence is a, is a big thing that I'm working on and that that one card has a Kanban board inside of it <laughs> <laughs> it's Kanban all the way down it's all the way it's Kanban all the way down uh, that seems to work for work for me a little bit but that's that's essentially what I'm trying to do and break stuff down is I make as many little cards for singular tasks as I can and leave as much context for myself as I can. Right. Uh, but that reminder is good. Break things down into the most, the smallest, most manageable pieces that you can. Um, yeah, definitely. Are y'all into like, uh, uh, manga or anime or anything like that? Uh, t- tangentially. So my, my, one of my really good friends, Jamal is, is really into, uh, that scene. And he also, he draws a lot himself and he's so he's always sharing stuff with me and like telling me to check stuff out but i haven't actually like jumped in myself yeah um so i've run it up because uh one of the things i'm i'm reading right now is this manga called uh dr stone um and it's it's been adapted into a into an anime but basically the premise is that one day everybody on earth turns to stone and then like this um I don't know how old he is, but he's like a teenager. He like one day he like breaks out of the stone and he has to basically go through like trying to bring back uh, civilization piece by piece. And I was thinking about that and I was like, this kind of teaches you like and like it kind of like not in the most direct way teaches you how to break down um, problems and to chunks and eventually make like a bigger thing. This actually, this looks really cool. Uh, I will probably end up reading this. Cool. For whatever reason, when whenever someone says uh, something turns to stone, I just imagine the statue from like, Super Mario World. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what I think about every time. I don't know. This looks really cool, though. Doctor Stone. I'll put a, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Before we wrap up here, any uh, plugs you want to give? Accounts, websites, projects, public stuff you got going on? Um. Yeah, I will say. Uh. So I will say the uh, the Big Elixir Conference that's in uh, in New Orleans, November seventh and eighth. And he's not just saying that it's big; that's actually the name of it. I was confused yeah. for a while. I uh, I can see that now. Like I'm starting to see that. So um, yeah, it, it's kind of a playoff like New Orleans, the Big Easy. Gotcha. So uh, yeah, the Big Elixir Conference is in New Orleans, November seventh and eighth. This is the second one, right? Uh, yes, it's the second one. Our keynote speakers are. Um, Eric Oldstrich, who he uh, he does uh, X Venture, um, and then also um, Brian Cartarella from uh, from Dockyard, um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. We have all our speakers now, and um, I think we'll like announce like the talk in the schedule soon. The talks in schedule soon, but um, yeah, that will be the the big thing to plug. I don't have anything else. <laughs> Awesome. I actually might try to check this out. It's in November, it looks like. By the way, I do love the design of this website. Oh, yeah. Our designer, um, her name is Hannah Rhodes. I'll have to look up her, her Twitter name, but she does awesome work. Yeah, I, I might try to check this out, November 7th and 8th. If I can't get to the Elixir Conf to see both of you, then I'll try to get to New Orleans because it's been a long time since I've been there. In November, it shouldn't be hot, super hot and humid. It won't be hot. Hopefully, no hurricanes. That's usually like a good time to come to New Orleans. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can check that out. But yeah, uh, Big Elixir, November 7th and 8th. Looking forward to that. Well, uh, I guess we're, we're at that time where I get on my knees and beg for feedback. 
And uh, yeah, so so if anyone has any feedback, any questions, any comments, any anything at all about today's episode, uh, please please let us know. Um, we love to hear feedback. We love to interact with the listeners. So um, yeah, anything anything you have to say, uh, please say it. You can uh, reach us on Twitter. DNC Show is the show account. You can reach Sean directly. Sean Wash Bot, and I am Shrockwell. And uh, you are on Twitter there. Oh yeah, Brian J O S. Brian JOS. Uh, all the show notes will be available at dnc.show. Uh, everything we mentioned today is is there. We kept a running list. So if you're looking for a specific link or a specific language, uh, it'll be it'll be available at dnc.show. That's Brian with a Y. Uh, yes. Not Brian with an I. The right way. <laughs> <laughs> I won't get into that. My brother might have something to say about that. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, we'll also post this show notes over on spectrum.chat. Uh, you can come over and say hi. There's a bunch of other... Uh, rooms over there for their design and development related shows and discussions and all that good stuff. And as always, thanks to Spec for having us. And if you're looking for other design and developer related shows, you head over to spec.fm and, and check out all the shows they have over there, like Fragmented, which is a weekly Android developer podcast, or Swift Unwrapped, which is a monthly show containing the latest news from the Swift world. This episode of Does Not Compute was edited by Mikhail Delport and produced by Sarah Jackson. Yeah, and thanks again, uh, Brian, for making time to, to hang out and uh, talk with us. I suppose this might count for our... We tried to have coffee the other morning, but my internet just didn't work because I was out and about and uh, just didn't work. So, yeah, just thanks thanks for making the time to, to hang out and talk with us. Oh, no problem. Anytime. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun. You're welcome back anytime because I have a lot of questions <laughs> <laughs> that we didn't get to. All right. Take care, everybody. See you. Bye.